Since we started in the book of Ephesians with Scott, I've felt such a big tug on my heart. And I felt more and more challenged how Scott has continued to lead us through the word. And honestly, Scott, I'm forever grateful for what I've learned from you these last two years. And there's no other place I'd rather be. But something he talked about last week really resonated with me. He was talking about the role of the pastor. And obviously, I wanted to pay attention to that because that's where God has me. And so that role is twofold, to completely equip the saints and to pray for them. And not so that their bad situations go away or that God gives them money and allows them to prosper through all of these amazing things and they never come across any difficulties, but so that they mature spiritually. And that really sparked something in my heart. And the first thing he said that we should do is pray with joy. Our pastor should pray for his people with joy. That the king has saved you. That you have a key to the kingdom. That you'd be strong. You'd be hopeful. That you'd endure all things, both good and bad. That you'd grow in purity and righteousness. And that ultimately you'd be guided by the Holy Spirit. Rooted deeply in the Word of God. What resonated most for me is that my theme when praying for each of you, I should do so with joy. Now, why that's important to me is because, as I'm sure some of you remember, I've been studying and preaching through the book of Philippians, and I've, I've had the pleasure to do that, but every time I'm up here for the last number of times, and in the passage we'll study today, we get to take a look into how Paul responds to his own circumstances, how he responds to being in prison, how he responds to various beatings, ridicule, having to have patience for years and years while being in prison being in chains and oftentimes alone. And if I can be forward here, his response is not with complaints, not with frustration or tears, sadness or grumbling. It's certainly not with asking God, why, why is this happening to me? His response is joy, 100% joy. And that's what he's teaching on today. And I feel like sometimes we get caught up in wanting to live this perfect life here in America, the American dream, that oftentimes we forget about why we're really on this earth, why we were born, where we were born, and what our purpose is. And so the title of my message, as you can see today, is why your circumstances don't matter. Okay, now don't shoot me just yet. I know that the title is a little scary for some of you, especially after the new life group topic that we are going into, but I want you to hear my heart on that. I can already see some of you itching to come after me, and I'll be here after service. Let's talk about it. But truthfully, I hope that by the time we're done this morning, that you would understand where I'm coming from. But before we get into our passage, I would love, love to pray. Can we do that? Father God, thank you so much for this church congregation. I thank you for our leadership pastors, Beth and Scott. I thank you for everybody who's serving here in, in some capacity, from tech to children's to nursery to youth, to cleaning the floors and the, and the whole area where we worship you, God. Every part, God, is valuable, and we thank you for the gifts that you've given to people at Root River Church to share with the rest of us. I thank you that we've all been able to learn from one another. I thank you that we've been able to see each other's circumstances. We've been able to see how people differently handle things, how people deal with death and sadness and joy. We get to see all these things and learn from them, God. And I thank you for sending mature believers to us that we could be edified. But I, I pray, Lord, that today that you would remove me from this spot right here, God, and that you would be using your words to edify your people. That what we talked about in our time of study this last couple of weeks, that I would communicate that effectively and that our hearts would be open to receive that message, God. So I thank you for who you are. And I pray that we have a great rest this morning. Amen. Well, last time I was able to preach to you, 
I preached on heart knowledge. And here's how that kind of goes, right? Paul introduces the letters to this Philippian church, and he tells them that he loves them. He tells them how grateful he is for them. He wants to affirm them and thank them for their partnership in his ministry. And at the end of that beginning passage, he starts with a little prayer. And it's this, verse 9 in chapter 1. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And right after that is where we are today. And before we begin, I want to read again this whole passage so that you're up to speed and you know where we're going. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. That first verse right off the bat, this is Paul doing a few things. I'll read it again. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. First thing I see him doing is this, right? Paul loves them, and he wants to set their minds at ease. I mean, think about this group. They sent someone to him to bring money, to bring love, to bring support, to bring friendship. I mean, Paul was awaiting trial and they were worrying about what was happening with him and his mission. I mean, worst case scenario, he's being tortured. He's in a dungeon. He's imprisoned. He's alone. He's hungry. Best case scenario, his mission is still jeopardized. And there's no surprise that his people might assume that this imprisonment meant a loss in the battle. I mean, who in their right mind is going, our boy is in prison, yay. No one. They're going to be worried no matter what, guilty or not. They've seen the persecution in all of the cities, the outcomes of living for and teaching the gospel. They've seen the ramifications of doing that. And Paul, with this one verse, sets it straight so that they don't have to worry. The second thing I see him doing is that he wants them to know that the gospel is still being preached. That's his mission. The gospel is still being preached. Paul sees value in his chains. And oftentimes I feel like we do not. He's saying the mission is still in progress. The gospel is alive. Things are still happening and greater things are even happening all the more. He's still at it. And in case you didn't already see it coming, Root River Church, I want you to know that there's value in your chains. And that's easier said than done. It's not a matter of what or when, but a matter of how. Lastly, I think Paul is also referencing what he said earlier in his letter in verse 6, and I'll read that for you. He says to them right before all this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Paul is saying, see, Philippian church, look at me. Look, this is true. What I just said, I'm in prison. And that process is taking place right now. God is finishing what he started. He's not done with me yet. I may be in prison, but that's not the end of the story. And he says, and for all of that, I can be joyful. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, I want to remind you of Paul's charges. This is all found in Acts 18 through 25, okay? They called him first an apostate Jew or a temple defiler. It says, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Charge one. Charge two, causing social unrest as an enemy um, of Roman law and order. And here's these two verses, right? I think they're super dramatic. These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Oh, you know, like that's what it felt like when I read this. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. I mean, they are all defying Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Oh, you know, how dramatic. I read this and I was like, this is Jesus. What are you talking about? I think about Paul's story, about his journey to prison, and it amazes me. I think about prison chains. Typically, prison chains don't tell the world you're a good person. Instead, it communicates that you've committed a crime. It communicates that you've made really bad mistakes. It communicates that maybe you lived a really vile life. Maybe you deserve those chains. Maybe you deserve to be in them forever. But it became evident to everyone around him in prison, everyone in the community, everyone uh, throughout Rome even, that his chains weren't prison chains, but the chains of a slave of Christ. So I'll ask you this. Will your chains show that you're a prisoner or a slave for Christ? So people are trying to create this narrative about Paul, and he has no control over that. They tried to create this narrative that he's deserving of chains for all of the reasons that condemn him, right? But he says right here, it's been clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that that's not true. The people knew the real reason. Paul's chains couldn't stop his message. People were being saved, including the guards. The word was getting out among everyone. The word was spreading that Paul was doing the unimaginable, saving people in Rome. It was no secret. Paul hadn't committed any crimes. People knew what he was about. They knew his message, his passion, his mission. It wasn't just one instant he was arrested. There was time and time and time again of him preaching to the Jews and the Jews being frustrated and them coming to the Romans and trying to get him killed and bringing him before all these people and trying to shut him down and it just could not work. So I have to ask you again, what will the people around you say about you during tough times? What will the people around you say about how you handled your chains? Will they know that you've seen God's purposes? Will they have seen that you have patience? That you have persevered? Will your attitude be positive or negative? Will you slander others or be jealous of their circumstances? Will you compare? Will you forget your purpose and lose sight of the mission? Will you crumble and turn to complaining? Turn to anger? Turn to bitterness and worry? Or will you turn to Jesus and keep your joy like Paul did? 
Will you continue to preach the gospel in the midst of the most ugly situations? I mean, think about what you've been through, River Church. Each of us has a story, just like Beth said earlier. Your mistakes, think about that. Think about the fights you've had with your spouse, with your friends, with your family. Think about those ruined relationships that you had many years ago. Think about your divorces. Think about the words you spoke. Think about the attitudes you've shown. Think about your sin. And think about all of that from others toward you. Think about it. In those times, was it your circumstances that restrained the gospel, or was it just you? And I know that's a tough one to hear, but that's what I said to myself when doing the study. Juan, was it your circumstances, really, or was it just your unwillingness? Did you want to be obedient, or were you wanting to be selfish? And that was a real gut check for me. Church, we need to get to a point where it's clear to the people around us that our circumstances don't matter, that our joy is in Jesus Christ. The truth is, I want this for my life, and I want this for your life. I struggle with this. I say this because it's part of what God has for us is to act like Paul did. And we shouldn't be calling Paul radical. We should say Paul is part of the model. Here's what's awesome about all of that. When, you, uh, when you're people, right, when you're, when you're acting like we're supposed to, when we have the joy like Paul is having, the people around you, your coworkers, your friends, your family, your waitress, the bus driver, the garbage man, they're going to take notice. They're going to get curious. They're going to see something's different. They're going to ask questions. And at that moment, when they've seen all of this happen in the midst of your own troubles, they're going to say, this is different, and that's your door open. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So first, Paul says, the gospel's still being preached. The mission's not over. Second thing he says is, and it's really simple, people are being edified. People are growing. People are getting confident in God's word, confident in the gospel, not confident in the Roman guards, not confident in Caesar, not confident in uh, Paul's lawyers or his trial, not even confident in Paul, but more so confident in Jesus Christ. Because of Paul's joy in the midst of tough circumstances, people became confident in the Lord. People became emboldened. They became passionate. They became free, ready for ministry. I mean, what more could Paul have asked for as a leader to the church? Think about that, Root River Church. What would our church look like if we acted like Paul? This church size would double and increase, not just for people to be here in the seats, but that they might spend eternity with the king. That's what's at stake. Not our comfort, not our lifestyles or livelihood. What's at stake are people's souls. Paul knew they needed to know what his chains had accomplished. If the Philippian church was going to continue on the same journey, if they were going to take the same path that Paul did, if they were going to continue to love their enemies, preach the gospel where it's unwanted, They were going to need some affirmation. They were going to need to know, and not just in their mind, but in their heart. They were going to have to know beyond the shadow of all doubt, I'm taken care of, and I can be joyful in that. And it's not to our shame that we have to learn that lesson. It's not to our shame that, oh, we need to know, and God's got to deliver the message a little little more forceful, and he's got to show us even more grace, and he's got to be even more patient. That's not to our shame. God knows we're weak. Paul was weak too, but we can be 
We can be sure in times of trouble. I mean, Paul tells them later in this letter in Philippians, he says, you're going to have enemies. And just like now, just like me in this prison, it will not stop your mission, I promise you. It will not stop the progression of the gospel. We certainly can be sure in times of trouble. The gospel of Jesus Christ can never end. It has not yet ended and never will. It can't be quieted. It can't be shut up. And the truth is we can see him at work. And even when we can't, we can trust that he's got us. I mean, that's Romans 8.28, right? Think about all those churchy Bible verses that you learned in Sunday school and VBS and all those things church pastor made you memorize when you were little. Romans 8.28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's 2 Timothy 1.7, right? For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Paul is just ushering this lesson in for his people. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. I mean, what has this guy done? What has Paul done on top of all the people already opposing him? He's got believers doing the same thing. We've got two profiles here. First is this bad preacher. He's preaching out of envy. He's preaching out of rivalry. He's preaching out of selfish ambitions. He's not sincere. I mean, these guys were jealous of Paul. They were jealous of what he was doing, jealous of what was happening, jealous of maybe the following he had. Now, here can be a moment, a moment of honesty. Raise your hand if you've ever been jealous. Okay? Raise your hand if your jealousy made you do things you probably wouldn't have done otherwise. I saw less hands that time, so that means there's some liars in here. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. In Galatians, Paul really hammers bad preachers. But he doesn't do that here. So it tells me these people must have been preaching that same gospel. And the end of his passage seems like that. He's, they're preaching the right gospel. They're just not doing it in the right way. Maybe these people wanted credit or praise for what's happening in the Christian community. Maybe they didn't like the attention he was getting. Maybe they were jealous of his gifts, the way he was able to speak, how useful he seemed to be in the kingdom of God, how successful his ministry might have seemed. Certainly it could be a lot of things. And I don't think this, what I'm about to say, I don't think that this is the main reason Paul includes this, but I think it's part of it. When he's writing this to the Philippian church, is it possible that he was saying, hey, maybe Philippians, that's you? So I'll say that to you, maybe River Church, some of that's us. Was that a flag for the Philippian church? Is that a flag for us this morning? That we're like this preacher against Paul? The second profile we get is the good preacher. This is really short. It's out of goodwill, and it's out of love. These guys know that Paul was put here for this very reason. I mean, Paul brings up these two profiles slightly to make a distinction in the two, but I believe it's more so to set up his next verse, and he says this in verse 18. Out of all of that, but why does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. I love this part of Paul so much. He is so bold. He says things that I wouldn't dare say. He challenges people I wouldn't dare challenge. I love this part of Paul. And truthfully, for me, I know that in my walk, I need that kind of tough love. 
I know that it can be really easy for me to just walk and not care when I make a bad decision and I'm good to go and, uh, sorry, Lord, I know I can be that. That's the ugliness that's in my heart. I could care less. So when I get a preacher like Paul, a pastor like Scott, that's bold enough to preach me the word regardless of how I might feel about it, I know that I need that check. Paul's saying, so what? Who cares? There are bad preachers out there coming after me. I am in prison. So what? Does this change what God is doing? Does it change our charge as defenders of the gospel? Will it change how we love people? Why are we surprised by this anyway? I mean, Jesus told us in Luke 21 that we're going to have troubles. Why make it more difficult for ourselves by being selfish? Paul understood that his own personal vindication before a Roman court or even his rival Christians were not more important than his task and purpose to defend and confirm the gospel. I'll just be real with you. When I was reading this, I felt challenged by this next part because the truth is these men died for this cause. All it seems sometimes like I'm doing is just coming on a Sunday morning for this gospel. And I felt super convicted. I mean, Paul was living this day in, day out. I get to go back to my bed. Paul didn't do that for at least four years while he was in prison back to back. That alone, I don't have that struggle. We must not forget that these men suffered in ways that we can confidently say we have not. And it's not to say that our sufferings aren't real. Honestly, I have seen so many of you in this church suffer in ways I cannot imagine. Breaks my heart. I've seen Scott's heart be broken, Beth's heart be broken. Many of your hearts be broken for other people who are suffering. There are people here dealing with cancer in ways I cannot understand. Talk about long enduring. Talk about perseverance. There are chains on many of you, and you're dealing with them very well. And I feel like there's chains on me sometimes that I deal with terribly. And I got to believe that some of you might feel that way. The sufferings are real, and they are present. But I say all of this because if if the apostles, the disciples, if those men in those days could die to defend and affirm the gospel, I can live for that same reason with joy in my heart like Paul had. And the truth is, in the scope of things, I got it pretty easy, right? I'm preaching the gospel right now. Scott preaches the gospel every Sunday. And last time I checked, there's not a mob of people out there waiting to kill you. Kill me. Make fun of me. Some of you might make fun of me, but you're not a mob at least. I've got it pretty easy. But God is in the business of using difficult circumstances to adopt new believers into his kingdom. And if we're unwilling to be used in that way, what kind of believer are we? Are we really the ride or die? Are we really down for the cause? Are we really here for the sake of the gospel? When we find ourselves in Paul's shoes, perhaps we need to stop asking why. Perhaps we need to start asking how we can be there. Not why is this happening to me? Again, I'm so exhausted. Not that. And I don't blame you if you feel that way sometimes, because I feel that way sometimes too, over very small things. Not asking why is this happening to me, but how can you use me with it? You want to know why your circumstances don't matter? They do. Just not as much as the gospel. Your circumstances do matter. They just don't matter more than the advancement of the gospel. Like Paul, your joy shouldn't be dictated by your circumstances. When I was prepping for today with the sermon uh, this last week, I thought, how did Paul really get through it? I'm just thinking about putting myself in Paul's shoes. How did Paul stay in prison for four years, chained to a guard? It wasn't like a normal prison, right? Paul was chained to a guard 24-7. They had shifts of six hours. People would just come through, right? And he wasn't staying in a prison. He was staying in a private home with a guy attached to him. And people could kind of come and go. God made that. 
God made that happen so that he could continue to preach the gospel. But nevertheless, I'm not being chained to anybody for four years. Someone's got to go. Me or you, one one of us is dying. Okay, because I can't do this. I mean, he's got to go to the bathroom. He's got to sleep uncomfortable. He's got to share a bed. That is no thanks. I had no idea how Paul does this. But as I was reading through a story in Acts, and there's a part in there that says that God showed up to Paul in a vision. Jesus showed up. The Lord showed up to Paul in a vision. There are the Acts 18, 9 through 10. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Wherever you're at, be in communication with God. That's how you set your sight on joy. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I don't like saying it, but Lord, I thank you for our chains. It's uncomfortable to want those hardships. It's uncomfortable to want to show glory through the toughest times, the highest contrast from darkness to light. I don't like being that sometimes, God, but I know that's how you use your people, and I thank you for that at the end of the day. I want to be obedient. I want to sacrifice my selfish ambition, my own envy. I want to sacrifice all of these feelings that I have that are so self-centered, that are not focused on you, that my posture is so ugly before you. I thank you that you give us those circumstances anyways. I thank you for people here at Root River Church who, Lord, I have no idea how they get through the things that they're going through. I see moms, I see parents, I see children who are going through issues and their loved ones are suffering for it. There are so many people here, Lord, that have a story and you know their struggle. You've seen the tears spent in their bed. You've seen them not have the joy that comes from you. And I know your heart is to give it to them. I thank you for those examples, Lord, because I can't do that on my own and I certainly can't learn it on my own. I thank you that there's mature believers here that step out in faith and, and are transparent about their life. I thank you for a pastor who preaches the word of God without shame. I thank you that he's willing to tell us when we're wrong, when he's willing to tell us when we're in the wrong direction. I thank you for your forgiveness, God. I thank you, most of all, God, for dying on the cross for my sins, that at the end of the day, I can run to you that you can be my king. I can bow before you and I know that I'm in your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you for your joy. I thank you for the story of Paul in the book of Philippians, God, and Acts. I thank you that he set such a great, godly, righteous, and pure example in what it looks like to serve you. Help us to get there. Lord, I pray that we have a good rest of our Sunday, good rest of the week, Lord, that we dedicate and devote our lives to preparing a defense for you, preparing a defense of why we believe what we believe. And Lord, there may be people here this morning that don't believe in you. We love them, Lord, and I know you love them more than any of us could imagine, but I pray right now that today would be their day that they change their life and turn to you. Lord, show them grace and mercy that they might believe and have faith in who you are, that they would run to the cross and confess that you are their Savior. Jesus name we pray. Amen.